You are listening to episode 269 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Brian. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and the names Bond, Optimus Bond, in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we are playing Spy Hunter on the PlayStation 2. And uh, Ryan, I, I do see it on that list right there. So I'm excited about that. Um, so we'll dive into our inflation deflation challenge. But first, you can find us on thegameinflators.com, our currently up-to-date website, I think. I don't know. I don't remember if I put the last episode up-to-date. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. All prior episodes are on there. Some unboxings if we have them. We got to do that D&D unboxing maybe know, this coming Sunday. Yeah, let's do it this Sunday. We'll crack open that um, the deck of many things. I'm excited to see what that's that's like. Yeah, uh, you can find, of course find us on social media at Game Deflators on X at the Game Deflators on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads are like four Threads posts that are on there. I do try to put Instagram photos when I can of games that we're playing, uh, games that are coming up, or just games that I have in the collection. And uh, lastly, you're listening to a podcast app on a podcast application. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. We would appreciate it. All right. Pickups. So uh, magic cards. I mean, that's just kind of what it is, right? Uh, We busted open a box of the Phyrexia All Will Be One in a draft on Friday night. That was a lot Uh, of fun. Yeah, that was actually a lot of fun. I, I'm sorry that we didn't do a second draft. I was legit falling asleep because of how no, late it was. No, I would not have been able to do a second I, draft. I was so shocked. I was like, I'm down to play like a couple quick, like casual matches of everybody. But to redraft, I mean, drafting alone takes an hour to draft yeah. the cards and then to put your deck together. And then we're talking games that like we'd be up to like 2 a.m. Yeah. playing Magic if we went with the other guys on that. So when Drew was like, oh, yeah, I'm down to draft again. Well, no, I'll just go hang out with my girlfriend instead of playing casual. I'm like, dude, like it would have one casual match would have taken us an hour or we could have drafted for an hour. Like nobody on. wants to play your dirty casual. Dude, my decks are a lot of fun. I have a lot of old <laughs> legacy decks that are a blast to play. And in terms of like a four person setting would have been a blast. Yeah. So we have to we have to do that sometime. Uh, but yeah, so we did that. Dude, I didn't realize one of those cards I pulled out of my packs was like a $40 rare. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, yeah, I got a sick amount of cards out of the like five boosters that I had. Uh, it was pretty nice. So I'm probably going to sell that and pick up cards that I actually need. There you go. Um, that's like so, a whole nother deck for the price of that land deck you got. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, dude, that land deck's a lot of fun too. Uh, and then I played a little bit of Tales of Symphonia, um, again, like falling asleep middle of the day type of thing, but we got to Palm Coast, uh, you know, as we had detailed a while back, um, what I had to do was make money to be able to pay off that potion for that group. And then it turns out that the group that was like, hey, you broke our potion of Palm Coast or whatever it is. Turns out that's the group that was um, imposters that mm. took the book and everything else. Like, that's what I caught, like middle of sleeping in the middle of like the, the gameplay. Um, but we did like some waitress memory type games, um, got money from serving people at tables, bought the potion. Or no, we got the potion for free, actually got money on top of that. And then met that group, gave them the potion. They went on their way, and then I saved the game, and that's where I am right now. Um, but it's in terms of story, I'm liking it. it it's good stuff. 
I have not started my new game's resolution yet. I intend on doing that um, as the next game that I actually start up. That'll be my next game so I can knock that out because uh, it will take me a while uh, considering yeah. how long it's taken me to play a lot of these games. And given how long Tales of Symphonia is, it's going to take me a bit to beat Alundra. So I got to get that started earlier in the year. And then uh, we didn't play any Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Um, just busy week. Kid was sick, so there was no real opportunity to do that. Uh, and then obviously me falling asleep is an indication that uh, I was pretty wiped to begin with. I'm trying to think of anything else we might have played. Oh, uh, my wife and I identified our next game. So Tiny Tina's Wonderland is current. We'll play that. It's about 15, 16 hours of gameplay. Usually when she and I play, we knock out a good like 45 minutes to an hour. So it'll be a few weeks, I imagine, once we knock out this game. And we're probably going to play Tunic next. That'll probably be the game that we play together. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, she saw it, really liked the uh, the visuals of it, um, thought it looked cute, right? So uh, on to, like just right away, I was like, that's what we're playing. So that was uh, my week in a nutshell. So I'm going to transition from Tunic over into a little bit of playing this week coming up, sort of. Uh, AGDQ is starting up. Uh, awesome games done quick. It's a big charity stream that goes all week. It's all speed running. They raise money for the Prevent Cancer Foundation. Um, really great cause, really great event, lots of awesome games to see. So they actually opened with Tunic and they did it in like 19 and change. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. actually pretty crazy. Yeah, less than 20 minutes. It's pretty crazy. So cool stuff there this week um so thanks to john for my pickups this week uh he gave me a copy of spy hunter for ps2 because he had an extra lying around so i have now uh, a ps2 game well i guess i have five ps2 games now uh, you know what i mine you know what i might need to do because i have other ps2 games actually that uh are just kind of laying around. I might just like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis when I see you be like, here, Ryan, just feed another, me pickups. <laughs> another video game. This is I, your pickup for the week. I'll give uh, you all my extra magic cards and you'll give me all your extra video games. I like I've, this trade. <laughs> yeah, that's an even trade. You get one game that you hold on to and I got to go through like 50 magic cards and be like, all right, oh, I got to sort I, these in five sets. I found two more this morning when I was going through. I've got an extra duress for you. Oh God. <laughs> you can toss on trash, dude. I've got like, I'm not kidding you. Like I've gone through eight different sets that have like duress in them. So I'm pretty sure I've got like four play sets already. Yeah. Of my one play set I have, I have three different arts. Yeah. Same here. I've got way too many. I've got like old school arts. I got new school. I've got like hollow foil arts, tons of stuff. By the way, I'll add to my pickups. I did get two more 5,000 count boxes to sort magic cards. Yeah. And I'm starting to get, because I have more boxes now, it's easier for me to do this. So I'm actually going to start taking like sets and organizing them by time that they were released. So as I'm going through organization, it's not like, oh, was Apocalypse in this box or was it in that box? And trying to look around, I'll kind of have the idea of like, oh, okay, it was released around Tempest. I want to play Magic from the mid 2000s. This yeah, box. yeah, this box, right? So I have like right now five standard sets in one box, and I'm gonna start transitioning them in like reverse order of when they came out in those boxes. Uh, so that's the goal right now. And then eventually making a cube for us to be able to draft. So we don't have to buy more packs down the road. Yeah. But, if you, but go if on. we do a cube, I want to see one of the, I want to see you get one of those. Uh, what was it? Oh, the, the vintage uh, one. No, that um, box 
that I sent you the thing you had seen. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the Cuban majigs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Talarian um, Academy did a review on that. They give it like an eight out of ten, I think. And it seemed cool. No, it's pretty cool. It's straightforward. I mean, you can sleeve up your cards. You get 15 sleeve cards. You stick them in a box and then that's your cube, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing is like when you draft with friends and you do a cube, it's a situation where you're going to be like, all right, guys, I need you to take four uncommons, put them in a pile. I need you to take six commons, put them in this pile and like kind of make the packs again um, and mix it up. But like that's generally, um, you know, it's you a pain to like with the same people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not too bad. Or it's like, okay, we we passed out like nine packs. I still got like 15 more packs to go. We'll just kind of use those next time and redo these. So yeah, Uh, but go on. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. So um, AGDQ, Spy Hunter. Oh, I also borrowed uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Xeonic Front, which was a game that I think I rented from Blockbuster or something when I was a kid. I don't know. I remember because I always remember journey to Jabro. that's the one i really like that's the one that i bought and would like to get again at some point but then uh i remember playing this one and not really getting it or something or just not being as into it um i booted it up it has a lot of like training missions to kind of get you understanding of the controls and kind of how the game works a bit so kind of slow introduction and then when you come to a mission there's like a whole mission briefing where you know, you get the layout of like what's going to happen and then you can see a map with the routes planned because basically you have like uh, in the first mission, you have two units, like a red unit and a blue unit, and they have these paths that you can set the route for. They'll follow the route automatically and then you can switch in real time between like the leader of each unit to control their mobile suit. So you're kind of doing this mission. um you know, trying to talk to before you go in, you could talk to all these different people and get like some extra like little story bits and, you know, some advice on the mission. You can like go in and change your equipment and stuff. So it seems like it's going to get really in depth as it goes on. Um, but starting out, I mean, it seemed pretty simple. Like the first mission took me like five or six minutes and it seemed like I was like doing a lot more just kind of getting used to looking around at everything and doing all the pre-mission stuff that I was really even doing the mission for. And a lot of it was just kind of like, all right, you're just kind of traveling from one place to the other. The combat is very kind of just like, I don't know, a couple of shots. It doesn't really feel like you're engaging very heavily, but I mean, I was just shooting like tanks and, and stuff. So it wasn't, you know, it's first mission. I'm sure it'll get, more complex and add more as it goes on but uh so far kind of eh we'll see how it goes yeah makes sense you know uh it's funny you mentioned blockbuster and like your first time renting that you know i really wish i had a basement because if i did i'd probably theme it out to be like a blockbuster and have my games and i'd have my games set up not like on a wall like they are now it'd probably be more of those like kind of rows so that you kind of go in and it has more of that authentic like yeah feel of pulling something off the shelf i know like a lot of people are to like why would you ever do that like that's just a lot of work and a lot of space taken up cool but if you're theming like a basement right it's gonna be this whole game room type area and you've got like pool table and big tv and all that stuff going on it'd be pretty cool i think to to have like a blockbuster theme going on for it and and having like the shelving and such of that like that where it's oh okay cool like that's the game i want to play that's the one i want to pick out because right now it's like literally 
rows of games and it it feels good to just kind of walk and be like oh i want to play this today i want to play that and you know i i would like that authentic blockbuster feel that'd be pretty cool um that said i do think i'm going to try and make a more concerted effort this year like a game like spy hunter right i think that's an easy game to kind of pick up and play through like i don't think it's a hard game and it's sitting on a shelf it's not doing anything like why not play it well, I mean, it. it's not that you're not playing games like you're always playing games. You're just falling asleep while you're playing them. Yeah, no, I and know you basically play like RPG after RPG unless it's something you and Angela are playing together. Typically, yeah, that's why I'm thinking I might play some more of these types of games. So maybe like after Alundra and Tales of Symphonia, maybe I'm jumping into like a more of these short games. And I did that back in 2022. I did that. I closed out the year of like six or seven games that were just like quick, heavy hitting, like mad into your rush to checklists. Yeah, like just six or seven games I knocked off like really quick over the course of the end of the year. And I thought it was great. You know, it was a lot of fun to just be like, and I was still falling asleep during games, but it was easier to be like, okay, cool. I'm playing like a four or five hour game. I'm going to knock it out really quick, move on to the next, move on to the next games that I could knock out in the span of like a week. Yeah, right. like that to me was actually kind of fun to do that. So I might do that again this year at some point, but I got to beat these games first. Um, All right, so let's move on to our discussion topic. I figured we could talk the D&D session. It's been a while since we kind of broke that down. I know you missed a little bit of time uh, at the end of the session because you had to leave early. So, um, you know, I, I think it's been a while. So really where we kind of kicked off or where we stopped last time is the group was looking for mascots for one of the professors and they had to go to... Um, what's called the Rilt, uh, Rilt, Wilt Hall. And it's pretty much like a swampy type area or bog um, with different observation huts and like the center area where students study. Um, and it's more so like this group or this part of a school, it's students that are more aligned with like being druids and mushrooms and that type of stuff. Uh, so you guys found all the mascots as you were going through. You did the whole thing with that. And uh, everybody heard like this loud scream. And I think this is about the time that you left off. So there's a really loud scream that happens. And as you get there, there's one of the students that you all are familiar with, Max, who has been suspected multiple times of shenanigans on campus and trying to destroy the university. His arm is completely torn off. It's nowhere to be found. And you guys see a giant creature going off into the bushes and turning invisible. And this guy's just like bleeding out everywhere. So I had you all doing medicine checks and things along those lines. What's interesting is nobody thought to cauterize the wound. It was let's go to magic right away. And I've kind of pinpointed multiple times to you all that these are like they're mage hunters, right? They're like anti magic in a sense. They want to destroy Strixhaven with the auric like they're being released for that purpose. And so the first go to is magic. And I was like, no, the magic doesn't work. And everyone's like, wait, why? Why isn't a magic working? Like what's happening? And I'm like, it just doesn't seem to want to close up with these magic spells. And so everybody's like, okay, let's tourniquet it. But nobody cauterized it on the spot, which I found interesting. So Max is taken to the infirmary and you all come across that. And of course, Jenny's character, Fez, is like, no, I'm staying in here and watching you do the whole procedure. And they're like, no, like this is a medical facility and we need to get things cleaned up and sanitized so we can perform the procedure. And like multiple students are like, it's okay. Like she's a doctor. We trust her on campus. To Wait, do this. what procedure were they going to do? She was going to like get it cleaned up and cauterized and everything else that needed was to happen. Do all that with magic? No, she wasn't because she was informed what creature did the, the damage. And she said, oh, magic is not going to fix this. Um, we can't regenerate the arm. 
I need to perform a medical procedure right off the bat to get this cleaned up and closed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so Jenny's insisting. She's like, no. And I'm like, no, she like escorts you out the room. She's like, I turn invisible to camouflage into a wall. I'm like, that doesn't work because she's literally walking you all out the door and pushing you out. And you just can't go invisible in front of her and her not suspect that something has occurred. <laughs> like that just doesn't happen. So I'm like, she pushes you all out. She begrudgingly is like hanging out outside, talking to all the other characters. And then, of course, I had flashbacks, you know, Kaharis and her uh, whole political campaign within the campaign. Um, So Ash, the little gnome that is with you guys, is like, man, this wouldn't have happened if we if we would just get to learn, like, how to defend ourselves, how to do proper spells, like deeper magic than what we're doing today. Kind of like defense against the dark arts type of deal. And um He's like, I just, I don't understand what's happening. Like if maybe if we built the wall, like Kaharis was saying, like this would have helped. (laughs) So I tied in the wall, which was great. The group was like, what the hell? Like, you know, throwing in the wall. But at some point, like I found this interesting. I didn't suspect this was going to happen. So Ash is like, all right, screw this. I'm going to make a group and we're going to learn how to defend ourselves. And he's like, I don't know. What do I call it? Like the the Auric? And they're like, no, no, don't call it the Auric. And he's like, I don't know, uh, maybe the DA, like Dumbledore's army, but DA. So I'm like, (laughs) so he's like, I don't know. I'm going to go brainstorm. I'm going to figure this out. Let me know when Max is okay. And so a little bit of time goes by. And of course, the group hears a crash. They knock down a door. They see the, uh, the, you know, infirm or the medical person, the doctor knocked on the floor, gashed head, blood everywhere, face to face of his mage hunter and then blasting through the window they see glass and like midair they see um you know an auric member carrying max over the shoulder and disappearing right so of course mage hunter in a way they can't exactly get to the window fast enough type of deal by the time they do invisible there's footprints like where they landed and then they don't know where the character went and your character who can technically like see invisibility um gets to the window but sees them like easily three four hundred feet off in the distance because several turns have gone by since you get there and they've dashed and done other things to make their way out there um and then I, I you know and i brought up to you personally but like during the time where the arm was ripped off and on the ground you all look in the distance and you see a member of the auric with one arm and then everyone's like wait didn't we see him with two arms before and it's like yes but you guys are doing things in the current time that affects the future and so they're like well wouldn't it, all of this have happened it's like no like there's multiple timelines and things that occur and the one thing that you all haven't kind of pinpointed is seeker died at one point within the campaign mm-hmm. right did that happen in the past did it not like there's things that could have occurred in your present time that would affect the future and the different timelines around it so like it's great because i feel like as a dm i'm at a point where Things can happen and I can transition story to work in different ways. And because we're doing time travel and different lines of time travel, there's never one clear set path as to what can and can't happen in the future. So I can kind of evolve the story accordingly to where it's to where it kind of suits the purpose of what needs to happen. Right. So in this case, this character, they're kind of written off in an extent, but their arm is gone. So now I can affect the future and say the arm is gone of this character or like this character loses a finger. Now that character loses a finger. This character can no longer perform magic. So this character loses their magic, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. But after you guys defeat the monster and everything there, and obviously all of us, you weren't present for, there's an argument between uh, Seeker and Groff who manages the university store. It turns out Groff is dating 
the medical uh, or the doctor on campus and had flowers and was like pushing his way through to see what happened. And Draco Malfoy um, or Mako Dralfoy or Virian Black, whatever you guys want to call him nowadays, comes out. He's like, I saw Seeker do it. Seeker pushed her into the table all for his own benefit. And he's peddling drugs on campus because technically <laughs> he is right. So everybody's like, yeah, I saw Seeker do it too. And they're trying to start up this whole riot. And Groff is like, did Seeker do this to you? And she's like, I, I don't know. I, I was knocked out. I didn't see anything happen. Like, I don't know. He could have, he might not have. And so Seeker and all of them are getting this argument with Groff. He's like, well, we'll just have to see how to transpires in court and so now i'm trying to figure out if i'm going to have seeker go to student court or something um to try and defend himself for a very much a situation where like everyone saw what actually happened where seeker was so it's very obvious he didn't do it but how do we make that into a fun little story um and then of course uh you all leave and you're doing your thing but fez in conversation with the group uh and you didn't catch this obviously says you know what i'm pissed off because everybody is saying that this isn't happening, that there's no Auric, that there's no Mage Hunters, like they're brushing it off like it's nothing, something's going on. I'm right there with Ash now, and I think that something needs to happen at this university. I'm going to go and talk to him. So now Fez is actually like deferring to the dark side. I'm like, whoa, I didn't see this happening at all um, while writing things up. So now I got to kind of work around that, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, like we closed out the session uh, with... Everybody kind of doing their own things, studying and hanging out their dorms. But I have Seeker wake up in the middle of the night and it was kind of funny how Joel handled it. So he wakes up to like basically a megaphone outside saying, you know, expel Seeker, get Seeker off of oh campus. He's a danger to us all. Our students don't need drugs and all stuff. And Seeker opens the window and he looks down and uh, Mako Dralfoy points up and he's looking at him and he smiles and goes, there he is, the drug peddler. He's probably making his drugs right now. And he's like, actually, I'm sleeping right now. Good day. And he closes the window. <laughs> I just laughed so hard when he did that. And, uh, and then we kind of closed it out at that point. So that's really where the session ended. And I got such a kick out of that, like how all of it transpired at the end. Um, it was pretty funny. So yeah, I mean, it It sucks that you had to miss that little bit, um, and I'm going to have to catch Thomas up as well, but uh, that was like the eight-minute or five-minute like overview of what happened in D&D this week, and I'm excited to see where things go. I think the story is kind of transitioning into more of a funnier type of tone, uh, despite all the seriousness that's underlaid on it, and mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see what I can do with like the Auric and the time travel. And like my wife was asking me the other day, she's like, oh, well, you know, why don't for the next campaign, why don't you do a homebrew? I'm like, because I'm basically doing a homebrew right now. Like everything I'm doing with you guys is straight homebrew outside of like some minor pieces. Like, yes, the Wiltroot Hall was part of the story, but every single thing that happened outside of that last week was homebrewed. Yeah, the book is a jumping off point. Yeah, exactly. very much a jumping off point. There's so like Joel actually read through it like a little bit. Um, when he first got the book and then closed it and he agreed, he was like, yeah, he's like, you got nothing to work with. You have like four scenes that happen and they expect you to run an entire campaign based off of like four scenes in like each each chapter. And they anticipate like, OK, there's four scenes, which means one week or one session per scene, which theoretically, yes, I could do that. But then it would make for the most boring campaign you guys have ever played because there wouldn't be anything in between. There'd be no classes, there'd be no interactions with students. It'd just be like, oh, the group goes to this. Okay, now this happens, now this happens, and then that's it. So, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Anything else D&D related for you to bring up or no? No, I mean, I'm excited to keep everything going and and move on into some higher levels and stuff. But I mean, this week we got a lot else we could talk about besides D&D. Voice actors calling out SAG on a bad deal. Uh, Game Shark stirring up some Switch 2 feeding frenzy for the media this week. And uh, I don't know if you heard about this, John. Mario's getting a new job helping the elderly. Oh, is he? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's start the first one. Uh, Gaming voice actors are blindsided by a garbage union AI deal. And this is uh, Tom Gherkin at BBC. Uh, So basically, uh, we talked about this a while back. We're like utilizing AI deep fakes in a sense, or just AI in general is able to mimic the voice of existing individuals, right? Like I've seen multiple things in our instances where you're listening to audio and it sounds exactly like the real person, but it's nothing like it's not even close. Right. And so what they've essentially done is SAG uh, has agreed to utilizing AI and then compensating uh, voice actors based on the AI use. So for example, if Ryan's a voice actor and a game developer says, Hey, we want Ryan's voice. We're going to utilize AI to incorporate Ryan's voice into this video game. Okay, cool. That's fine now, according to SAG, but they're going to compensate the voice actor a fair amount of dollars based off of the use of their likeness. And they still need consent from the actors to be able to do it. But like the fear is in the future that if you don't consent as an actor, they'll just go to the next person. Then they'll go to somebody else. And if you want to stand up for your rights, they'll basically just say, you know what? We'll just find somebody who will play ball. And then once everybody is forced to play ball, then they can change the rules and do whatever they want because it's too late. They've already got all the agreements and code and, and stuff. And I mean, at some point in the future, you know, there's going to be a real reckoning in all manner of things ai and exactly what is really owned and fair use and stuff like that anymore all that's going to be have to be renegotiated in some way but for these actors for right now you know they deserve the ability to make a fair living off of their talents and to not have that just exploited by you know all the money people up the line and all the tech people on the other side who were also trying to make a buck, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this, like after reading it through and like, I I can see where this would be a beneficial deal for some of these voice actors where it's like, Hey, I don't have to audition for anything. I don't have to go out. I can audition for other things. There's going to be potential for money coming in that I don't have to actually do any sort of work because my voice is being used, but financial set aside, I think a lot of these, I mean, they enjoy doing this too, though, right? So I think this is beyond just money for these voice actors. And also the fact that like this deal was agreed to without them agreeing to it, right? So SAG on their own said, well, we're representing these voice actors. So we're just going to go ahead and do this for them, right? But there was no, a lot of people are saying, hey, it should have been put to a vote. Um, A lot of well-known voice actors, like it should have been voted upon. Nobody that I've talked to has agreed about this. Like this isn't something that we all think is beneficial for the industry. What's the point of being a union if If somebody else makes all the decisions for you? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's typically what unions are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to be in there for negotiating and all of that. So I do get it. Like that's the downside of being in a union. There are certain protections that you're given and there's certain like assurances that you're provided from the union that they're going to have your 
uh, best interest at heart. So in this, in this case, they had their best interest at heart, but a lot of folks didn't agree with that. So, and that makes sense. And I think some of it's more so like they just enjoy voice acting. They like the opportunity to, um, you know, go forward for the job and, uh, and try to get a lot of those lesser known voice actors as well, who maybe aren't in a lot of big roles, you know, are you going to go for a Steve Bloom or an Eric Stewart or somebody like that? Um, and just say, Hey, we want to use your voice. Can we go ahead and do that? And they say, yeah, sure. I mean, and, and Bloom being one of them was like, no, absolutely not. I don't like this, but there may be situations where like, yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm going to make X amount of dollars from it. Okay, cool. That lesser known voice actor who could have gone in and tried out for that role now doesn't even have the opportunity to do that because there's no auditions. Right. Yeah. So I think it hurts a lot of the like lesser known voice actors more so than it does the well-known voice actors. Um, so there's that piece. And then just the love of doing it, right? Like, do you really want to sit on your ass all day and not do what you were trained to do and what you've been doing for years? Right. And then like when it comes down to like meeting fans, you know, if they're like, oh, you did the voice for whatever character in this video game. Yeah, I did. But they really didn't. Right. Because it was AI that was doing it. So there's not even that experience and that like emotional connection to the characters because their voice is just being used. So I, I could see multiple ways where this is like beyond money. Yeah. In, in a sense for a lot of people. And one of the things, I mean, going along what you were saying before, this is really going to be a long-term problem that's going to have to get solved out at some point. Because once you have these AI recordings of all these voice actors, you know, in perpetuity, like if you can use the greatest voice actors, you know, like you were saying, with new voice talent coming up, you know, in 30 years, are people going to aspire to be new voice actors because everything you've ever heard was just the same old recordings rehashed out again and again. Well, and the problem is there's thousands upon thousands of like audio recordings out there that can be taken. Um, you know, so I, I think when you really kind of consider, well, I mean, maybe not thousands upon thousands, but there's a lot of, of voices out there and even beyond just like voice actors and like video games, anime, you're talking like, even just movies or commercials or different voices that have been in anything where there's an audio recording of some form of digital media, if that can be pulled and you just need the name and consent, it's like a, a yeah. wide pool of like that. And that's like, it. Right. So it does that, like you said, does that make people in 30 years aspire to do that role when it's not even needed anymore yeah, at that like point? the rock's not going to record lines for your game because you're not going to be able to pay him enough to make it worth his time. But if he can sign off the AI for his voice to just do it, and then he signs off on it, like he did it. Well, now we can get the rock in our game. Why would we pay a voice actor? Like we'll have the name recognition of the rock. Yeah. And like, he's only going to want, like he'll want however much money, but there's a fair aspect of like, there's no travelers, no commitment. There's none of that. So mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little more, but we'd be paying him about the same as what we would pay somebody to come in live, right? And now we have Dwayne's voice on on this game. So I see it. Yeah, it's definitely a long-term issue. I would love to get a voice actor on here to really talk with us about that and their yeah. and their viewpoint. So that might, I mean, hey, Game on Expo is coming in March, and I know a couple folks voice acting-wise it'll be there. So maybe we, uh, maybe we talk to them. Sounds good. Yeah. So... Next thing here is GameShark has accidentally leaked the Switch 2's release date and uh, leaked is in uh, quotations here and it's Zach Suiz and Echo Taku uh, for this. So basically GameShark is kind of re-coming out as like GameShark AI. So it's a new, AI chart. 
huh? Or AI, AI shark. shark? Yeah, AI shark. So Game Shark now Shark uh, AI Shark, and um, in part of that like launch is saying, hey, we're going to be coming out this new pro or program, and here's how we're going to be involved in gaming. They said it'll coincide with the Switch's release in like September of 2024. Then they backtracked to say it was like fall of 2024. Then they backtracked again to say, oh, well, we're not sure. Like it'll co it'll be coming out in fall and we're like thinking the Switch will be out during that time period. So like they backtrack like multiple times. My feel is like Nintendo maybe didn't see the September one or maybe they did bitched them out said hey this is false and take us down it's not September 2024 wasn't clear enough game shark goes ahead and says fall of 2024 and Nintendo's like no you can't do that either because we haven't made an official announcement oh well it could be fall of 2024 I think it could be pretty much confirmed we're gonna see switch Two in 2024 like oh, yeah for sure yeah that you know these types of things don't just like randomly happen by sheer coincidence that like game shark is saying oh it's gonna be released in 2024 like it's got it's gonna coincide with this. They have insider info. They've well, signed NDAs. They've done these things. Like somebody knew what was happening and what's gonna be coming up. And I mean, honestly, it could have been a screw up on their part on purpose to get more limelight on yeah. their product and then tie it in with a switch name. Um, now maybe they did that without knowing and they're backtracking to get more and more kind of traction towards their AI thing. Or maybe they really did screw up and Nintendo reached out to them. There's been no comment from Nintendo and no further comments from GameShark. Well, we're going to start seeing a lot of situations like this where, I mean, if you're a smaller, <clears throat> like, this isn't a small, small thing. But I mean, it's definitely not a big, giant thing. You know, GameShark's been away for a long time. I don't really know who the owner of, I guess it's uh, Alltech Lansing. Yeah. So, I think they've been known for a while, actually. Yeah, so they just haven't done anything with it in a while or whatever, and now they're trying to bring it back. But, I mean, even if you were, like, a developer for a game, if you said, you know, hey, we're in development for, you know, Xbox Series, PlayStation 5, and Switch 2. That's not a lie. Like, you're definitely developing for Switch 2. It's not out yet. But, like, you could grab a lot more headlines announcing a game for the Switch 2 that isn't even having a release date and just get like blown up headlines for that or seeing you know new game announcements coming out that maybe don't list nintendo as a platform because they don't have the license to put like the switch 2 logo you know on the announcement card and it's not going to work on switch one so you'll see a game it's like well that would have been great on switch. I guess it's not coming to Nintendo and it's like, well, they just can't announce it's coming to Nintendo yet. Or you have it saying Nintendo, but there's no switch noted. It just says Nintendo. Yeah. So we're going to be in that whole speculation timeline now moving forward where people are really going to be, you know, combing through every little detail on all these announcements and trying to get as close to this figure. But I mean, hopefully we get an announcement of you know a direct or something maybe sometime in march uh to give us like a first look and then maybe we get a better look this summer and then it comes out this fall yeah i mean i think it depends on uh for me it really depends on if it's backwards compatible or not if it's like a day one or like first week type of pickup for me like if it's backwards compatible i'm all on it i'll sell my old switch pick up the new one when did you get your switch uh, when it like first came out. So do you have the easy hack one? Uh, I think so, actually, yeah. Okay. 
So, I mean, I, I guess that is true. I could just stay with the old one, too, and just pick up a new one. It's not like I can't get it. So, I mean, I'm hanging on to mine for purely that reason. Like I said, Zach has to, like, crack his open and put a chip in it. Well, maybe I'll have him do that for me, too. We'll see. You you don't need it. Oh, yeah, that's right, because it's just a soft, soft mm-hmm. mod. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Ryan. We don't do those <laughs> types of things on the side. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No, I mean, I actually don't have any hacked consoles because i have so many games already it's like what are you doing yeah like if i really want to play something i'll just pull it off the shelf and if i don't have it i'll buy it (laughs) so that's kind of how i've always been um little samson uh (laughs) we'll say it's a cart from aliexpress that costs 40 dollars. that's about what it would come out to um or it's like a 501 cart that i may have picked up for like 10 dollars somewhere else (laughs) that's it uh, so, you know, this isn't the only thing that Nintendo's had to deal with this week. In fact, uh, this past week, uh, AARP uh, had a horrible AI-powered Mario hologram. Uh, and this is also Zach Sweet's and Kotaku. So uh, at CES 2024, so Consumer Electronics Show, um, uh, AARP was there doing, a, they sponsored like a hologram type thing. So it, it wasn't necessarily AARP was doing this. It was AARP was at the event and they sponsored something. And it was some sort of like hologram program. And Mario was the hologram program with ARP there. So I guess we could say it's part of age tech. Yeah. So Mario is helping uh, the elderly nowadays. Yeah. So this uh, hologram is like a prototype technology for like a just a general interface for you to be able to like people were asking it uh, and got a recording of, you know, where to buy video games. And it's like, you should go to Target. And it's just like it sounds so ridiculous like it's not really doing like the full mario thing like it didn't have charles martinet or um i haven't remembered the the new person's voice yet but whoever's yeah. going to be mario moving forward wasn't actually doing this so it's just very odd and i mean i was talking to john earlier like the first thing i saw of this i was like this is gonna go so bad like somebody in the future is going to have like an avatar thing and they're going to be in like an emergency situation and they're going to have to get like Mario to call 911 for them. Or, you know, they're going to have like, uh, you know, some like uh, their favorite athlete is going to be like reading off their voicemail to them or something as like just standing there in front of them. It's going to be so weird in the future when you're doing like these bizarre things with just like these not real people or you know faux like realistic versions of characters it's going to be a bizarre world to just have that be normalized as opposed to interfacing with like a piece of technology like i'm used to you know looking at a clock not asking a fake person what time it is yeah i mean you're really going to run the situations like mario i've fallen wahoo <laughs> <laughs> please call 911 okie dokie <laughs> that's gonna mario my friend she's a fallen she cannot get up <laughs> all right mario um... tell her to stay right there <laughs> stay right there <laughs> oh man i would call know. my brother luigi <laughs> it's it's gonna be a bizarre future and um i mean it's cool like i guess this is the sci-fi we always wanted, right? Like being kids, it was like, oh, sick. You know, we're going to have like holograms and all this stuff. And 
now that it's getting closer and closer to coming out it's like okay maybe maybe this is is what we wanted but maybe we should have asked why first well and it's kind of in that weird time where it's like not as advanced as it can be yet so you're in like this really creepy phase of like really bad holograms and really bad ai and things that are not like 100 percent set out like for example i've been using like meta's ai program to make stupid images and i was like meta ai make me a picture of mario or super mario and it gave me like this baby looking mario with a pencil thin mustache just kind of hanging out with a bunch of piranha plants that had warped wish. faces Com, mario it was yeah it was basically if you ordered mario from wish uh it was scary to be honest like it looks like an old van gogh painting with a baby mario it's kind of scary yeah this um, aarp mario doesn't look very good either like his shoulders are weird yeah he's all jacked up it's like a meta ai program made the hologram mario um so yeah, or maybe that's what you get when you make, it's like, all right, wish.com, I need you to make me a hologram of Mario for the elderly. And that's what you get. So he's got the big shoulders. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens in this long term. But uh, yeah, it was shut down. ARP pretty much is like, yeah, we didn't know this was a thing and we weren't aware of it, which mm -hmm. they probably were, to be honest. And uh, same deal if Nintendo were like, no, we didn't approve this. So needs to go away. Um, so yeah, lots of fun. It's all right, let's... always raining up people's parades. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's look at our inflation deflation for the week, which is Spy Hunter on the PlayStation 2. This was developed by Paradigm Entertainment. It was published by Midway, designed by Sean Wright, released in November of 2001 in the US. It's got other release dates uh, worldwide. It is vehicular combat, and then the reception specifically on PS2 is around an 8 out of 10. So Ryan, uh, set us up with the synopsis from the wiki. The plot deals with Alex Sect, an F-15 pilot who's trained by the FBI as he tries to take down Nostra, an Israeli-based international company that produces food products, biochemicals, genetics, e-commerce, and children's software. Uh, Damon Curry, a man who believes himself to be the figurehead mentioned in several religions, is the founder and leader to deal with him. IES created a team called Spy Hunter. So the game opens with this, like, pretty cool cinematic uh, uh the bad guy sitting in a room with all these like agent 47 looking bald guys in suits uh they're all talking about his plan for uh the four horsemen and summoning uh their satellite power to take all the power from the world and plunge it into darkness so that he can rule and he's got terrible hair i think well, it this is all a problem with his self-confidence i think he needs to find keeps and pursue his happiness well it all starts at the children's software you got to have the educational software in which they promote eating certain fruits and vegetables uh which are contained or contain biochemicals and genetic mutations right and then after that you have to figure out the e-commerce aspect of how to sell it so I, I think it's a genius plan, actually, when you think about it. Like, start with the kids. They're going to push for it with their parents. They're going to whine and cry if they don't have it. And then those kids grow up to be whatever they grow up to be. Yeah. Evil it's spies. Evil spies. Yes. All right. So an interesting fact on this game. Uh, word is that the game was actually in development and uh, emerged in late 1997 at the time. It was titled Spy Hunter Returns. Uh, and it was planned for release in 98 or 99. And uh, N64 was actually a target platform, but Midway had no plans to feature uh, different versions of the original Peter Gunn theme throughout the game. And so ultimately ended up being scrapped and pushed out towards, um, you know, 2001 for that release period. 
So interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, so gameplay wise, as I said, vehicular combat. What? What was the head shaking for? Huh? You shook your head for something. Oh, it was just super interesting fact. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you're ridiculous. I thought it was pretty interesting in the fact that like it was going to be released for N64 and it held off to the PS2. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of stuff that like when the PS1 came out, everybody was probably just blown away by how much better you could do with CD technology. And I mean, maybe, you know, that is what decide, you know, made them decide to switch platforms. But restarting, I don't know, maybe they just took so long in development that second time that it eventually pushed PS2. But I mean, this would have been a way different game if it was on N64 for sure. I mean, first of all, like, this is a fun ass PS2 game. Like this is one of those games that like back in the day you could have gone to like blockbuster randomly just checked out and had a great weekend with, I feel like the PS2 was full of these kind of like easy to get into action titles that explored a lot of different genres and things like vehicular combat, not a huge genre. I mean, we had a ton of twisted metal games and stuff by now. I think we had at least like three or four of them. Uh, but this is like the first one well, and vigilante eight as well. Okay. I, uh, yeah. Wasn't that, um, that was on 64. That was on 64. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably sell damage for Xbox or was that later? Probably. I don't know. A lot, not a whole big family of vehicular combat, but this is a cool way to do it because it's like, being that James Bond car with all of the cool special features and gadgets and it turns into a motorcycle and it turns into a boat and it's just a, a fun adventure going from like, you know, all of these big sites that you would see in like a spy international thriller, like racing through the streets of Italy and the canals of Venice and stuff that's all really what you're getting with this fantasy and uh, i really dig it i think it's something that i would like to see way more of i've heard a lot of people that like this game say hey i would really like to see a new spy hunter in the last couple of years so i think after playing it now i'm definitely on board with that and i'm glad it's a game i own that i can play all the way through yeah you know I, I really like the aspect of i mean you're really just kind of in the car the whole time right there's no getting out and doing all these other spy things like it's very clear you have certain objectives that's what you're going to hit there is a story that's at least based around that it's got some great gameplay the controls are very fluid uh, in what we played i mean it's not a hard to play game at all and it's just in general it's like good fun right it's something you can kind of pick up quickly play a couple levels finish some objectives and then be done for today right or play even longer than that so I actually, I'm right on board if you hear. I thought it was a great game. I think the 8 out of 10 that it's been given on PS2 is actually very warranted. And I'm happy that we played this one because I played it years ago, like 20 plus years ago when it first came out. Played the demo, rented the game. And as a kid, I just didn't like it as much back then. Playing it now, I'm like, man, I really wish I actually would have stuck with this game and played it through. And uh, now I have that opportunity, right? So that's why I'd mentioned earlier that that's something I kind of want to look towards doing this year is diving into games like this that are very much like short games. You can kind of each mission is like four or five minutes, right? Like if you do it right, you can blaze through this game pretty quickly. And so that's kind of a goal to, to play through something like this. I did it with Guitar Man, I think it was last year. Would love to do a Spy Hunter this year. 
Nice. So, um, yeah, so kind of looking at brass tacks here, complete in box is running you 791. Uh, there is a saliva alternate version that I have that has the saliva band um, album on there, and that one's actually 25 bucks right now. Uh, the game itself for a regular copy peaked at 998 in November of 2022. Price wise, trending kind of steady. A loose copy right now running you 571. That peaked at 699 in June of last year, and that's trending down for a loose copy. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say in an overall, like, you know, inflation deflation, this is very much deflated. I think if you see this game for 10 bucks, it's an easy pickup. It's cheap. I mean, given today's rates of inflation, $10 for a game like this and as highly rated as it is and something you can just kind of jump in quickly play graphically. It's not bad. It still holds up very nicely. I think it's a good game to pick up for 10 bucks. Yeah. This is a heck of a game for 10 bucks and you know, the PS2 has uh, so many great games that you could get. And this is definitely one that I would say, if you don't have it, it's definitely one that you should get because it's going to fit real great in your collection. It's at a great price right now. Um, you know, who knows in the future? Like, I feel like this will probably eventually go up higher than where it's at now, just because over time that's, the trend that we've seen so why not get it while you can at a deal yep i agree uh so for our next get together uh i don't know if we confirmed if we're gonna do DD on saturday for a recording yet but i'm thinking maybe we visit spy hunter on the i think it's the nes oh the original yeah i'm pretty sure i have that one okay cool so that'd be pretty cool or just another spy hunter game in general and just kind of do a quick comparison off the old one while it's still kind of fresh in our minds Okay. I think it'd be fun. All right. Well, uh, this has been episode 269 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.